This morning we're going to be looking at Psalm 119. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, if you're unfamiliar with where that might be, it's, it's fairly simple. If you just turn your Bible in half, likely you'll land on Psalm 119. It's one of the longest, it is the longest chapter in the Bible. We've been looking at Philippians as a church, a book in the New Testament. At the beginning of every year though, I take pause and uh, we make our way through Psalm 119. It's an encouragement to me. And it's an invitation to you for us to spend time in God's Word in 2024. And so that's what we want to do this morning. We want to see, have God himself uh, challenge us and encourage us to spend time in his Word in 2024. Psalm 119, we're going to be looking at verses 33 through 40. 33 through 40. Now before we turn there, I just want to mention a couple things of, of what we're going to see. One of the things that you're going to see is that there's a way that I think this text profoundly connects with where our current culture is, and also probably, likely, where you are as well. I think it connects with our culture. It probably connects with you, this text, because I think we value, I think you value honesty and integrity uh, and a word that's popular nowadays, authenticity. We value those things. And you see that here in this text. You have, you have someone who's writing a psalm about God's word and spending a lot of time to do it, and he's saying, listen, I'm, I'm not only confessing to God himself, but I'm also writing this for others. But I'm not afraid to share that I'm someone who, who wrestles consistently and deeply with selfishness. And I'm letting God know that, and I'm letting all you know that. So we love the honesty and integrity of that, that He's being honest about his, his wrestling with selfishness. And he's also being honest in this text that you'll see because of his, his either lack of attention to what's genuinely valuable or the way that he actually gives his attention, his focus, his affection to things that are trivial, sometimes even harmful. He says, I wrestle with that. Sometimes I get distracted. Sometimes I give my attention and affection to things that don't deserve my attention and affection. He's telling God that. And he's telling all of us that. And we value that integrity and that honesty and that authenticity. He'll also say things that like he, he dreads the judgment of others upon him. That he, he doesn't want them to think bad of him or to judge him. And it's interesting that even at the very end of this psalm, it's all about how he wants to know God's word and to be faithful to God's way. That one of the last things the psalmist says is, Seek me, O God, because I've gone astray. I think that connects with us because we, we value honesty and integrity and authenticity. And that's one of the things that you're going to see here in this text. But it doesn't just connect with our culture, and it doesn't, I think, just connect with you this morning. I think there's a way that this text will also deeply challenge our culture this morning. And I think it will likely deeply challenge you and me as well. And it challenges us in this, these ways. He mentions these things that he wrestles with, this selfishness, this giving this attention to things he shouldn't give his attention to. Uh, his fearing the opinion of others, his going astray. And the reason that it challenges our culture and it challenges likely all of us here this morning is because he says something that's almost blasphemous in our culture nowadays. He says, I don't have the resources. I don't have the wisdom. I don't have the power. 
and I don't have the perseverance to fix this myself. I can't fix me. And that's deeply opposed to where we are culturally. And I think that's deeply opposed to what our hearts say naturally. I'll fix this. I know there's issues there, but I'll fix it. And the psalmist, you'll see, says, I can't fix it. And I'm desperate for someone else to fix it for me. And it's not just that it challenges us in that way, that he says, I can't. When many times in our hearts we say, I can, just watch me. The other thing that he's going to say that I think challenges our culture even more and challenges us, all of us in this room even more is because he says, not my will be done. He says, my will is not the way that I should live. I'm called to follow and be faithful, not to my will coming from my heart, but I'm called to follow and be faithful to the will of another. It's not you do you. Whatever that is for you, you do your truth. He's saying, no, I know whose will I should live by. And it's not mine. It's God's. And so it deeply challenges us in that way. He says, I can't fix this. And I know I'm called to live not by my will. That only tends to lead to disaster. But I'm called to live by his will, which tends to lead to flourishing. And so one of the things that we're going to look at this morning, really just two things as we navigate this text. We're not going to look at everything in detail, just some broad kind of paintbrush strokes that he gives for us, is we're going to look at how in 2024, God invites you to engage him through his word. In 2024, God invites you to engage him through his word. And then second, we're going to see how God can change you as you engage that word. God invites you to engage with him through his word, and he will change you as you engage with him through that same word. Let's stand for the reading of God's word, Psalm 119, verses 33 through 40. Notice how many times the psalmist asks God, pleads with God to do something for him. He says this, Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts and your righteousness. Give me life. The reading of God's word to you this morning, which he has given to you because he loves you and he wants you to know him. Let's pray. Father, would you do this morning for us what we have just sung prior to reading this text? Would you, Father, by your Holy Spirit, turn our eyes upon Jesus and help us by faith to look him full in his face and that for these moments and even for this week, the things of this world would go strangely dim as we live in the light of his glory 
and grace. Holy Spirit, help us see Jesus from the word of God. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So as we begin in 2024, I know it's going to take me a while as I'm writing things down to say 2024, not 2023. But as you begin 2024, God invites you to engage with him through his word. Now you'll notice as we read Psalm 119, it's not here simply to give you information. It does that. It gives us wonderful information. But even more than that, through Psalm 119, God is giving each of you an invitation into his presence by the word. He's giving you an invitation into his presence in and through this word, this Bible that he has given to you. That as you read scripture, you're engaging God himself and what he has spoken in the past and continues to speak to you through the word that he has written. And you'll notice in this psalm, as we look at that, as we receive that invitation this morning to engage him through his word, you'll notice that the psalmist not only has two postures for which he's approaching this God, but he's inviting your heart to have those same postures by grace. So the first posture, the first attitude that I think we see in this text over and over is one of what I would call joyful, hopeful desperation. Joyful, hopeful desperation. I already said it, that he, he knows that he looks at his heart and the problems that are inside of there, he's saying, I can't fix this. But I know someone who can. And you'll notice in these texts how many times he asks God to do something. Verse 1, teach me your statutes. Verse 34, give me understanding. Verse 35, lead me. Verse 36, incline my heart to your testimonies. 37, you turn my eyes away from worthless things. Second half of 37, give me life according to your ways. Confirm your promise to me. Turn away the reproach. Give me life. Nine times in eight verses, he is asking God to do something for him because he's joyfully and hopefully desperate. He's saying, I won't know your way unless you show me that way. I won't even want to walk in your way unless you give me the grace to do so. You've already given me life, but I need more life this day, right now. You incline my heart away from selfish things because it's automatically inclined towards those things. Over and over, in joyful desperation, he's saying, God, do this. I can't fix myself, fix my selfishness, fix my attention and my affection. You know, it's one of those things, whether you're a believer or you're someone who has questions about the faith, maybe you're engaging God's word for some of the first times in your life. You might read Psalm 119 and, and kind of have a perception of it that it almost comes across, almost, as someone that's kind of like self-righteous, self-promotion. Look at what a good guy I am. Look at how much I long for God's word. Uh, look how faithful I am. Look how good I am. And that's the exact opposite of what he's doing. 
It's not self-righteous self-promotion. Look at me. It's joyful, hopeful desperation. I can't fix me, but I know he can. He can save me. And so the psalmist isn't just giving you information. This is what a, a heart of desperation looks like. It's, it's an invitation for you to sense that desperation even in your own heart. That in 2024, you can't fix you. Only God can. You can't save you. Only God can save you. And here he is asking God, help me know your word, your commandments, your law. Help me to walk in them. I'm desperate for you to do this. He has a joyful, hopeful desperation. But you'll notice that it's a desperation. It's not a desperation of despair. It's a desperation of joy and hope. And I would say that the second attitude that he doesn't just give you information about but invites you into is not just desperation but a core conviction. And I dare to say it like this. The reason he asks so much of God in this text is because he knows God loves to give so much to his people. He sees a track record of that in Israel's history. He's like, God, look who you drew out of the Ur of Chaldees, Abraham. I mean, you call Abraham and then you raise up your people. They go into Egypt and you save them. And when you brought them into the desert, you were so faithful every single day to give them water and food. You provided when they asked. You provided more than they asked for over and over. And then you were so faithful, you brought them into the promised land. You provided a tabernacle for them and later a temple for them, priests for them, a king for them. You are the God who gives to your people, so I'm going to ask a lot. Teach me. Give me understanding. Lead me in the path because God, I know you love to answer these prayers with, yes, I will. It's a core conviction. It's a joyful and hopeful desperation because he has a core conviction that his God will give what is necessary to him. That's the way it was in the Old Testament of all the things God gave to his people and therefore he knew he could ask how much more for us that we've seen the coming of Christ that God would give us His Son. That the Father Himself would love us so much that He would give His Son that through Him He would give us eternal life through His life, death, and resurrection. You know, it's interesting. In Luke chapter 7 and Luke chapter 11, Jesus begins to tell some stories to help us try to understand this a little bit more. And He points at earthly fathers and He says, listen, if earthly fathers know how to give their sons or their children, good gifts. How much more your heavenly Father does he know how to give you exactly what you need? And so it's one of those things where it's like, if you know how to give uh, your child or someone that you care for a good gift, a hug, a high five, or in the morning when they wake up, maybe it's Captain Crunch or Cheerios, whatever it is. They've asked for breakfast or cereal. I know some of the kids are like, nope, that's not what I have for breakfast. I have toast or bagels, whatever it is. Uh, maybe at lunch it's hot dogs or chicken tenders or salads. Again, who knows, I'm sure. Or maybe for lunch it's Dunkin' Donuts. I don't know. Or maybe it's Band-Aids when they have a boo-boo on their knee. 
whatever it is. In your heart, you know when your child asks for something or needs something, a good parent will go, I will provide that for you. And Jesus says so much more about my father. He also knows how to give good things to you. And I love how in Romans 8, Paul says it so succinctly. He says, if he who did not spare his own son, will he not also with him graciously give you all things? Uh, Peter will say in 2 Peter, he say that God will give us all things necessary for life and godliness. Paul will say it again in Ephesians chapter 3, that God will always do more than we could ask or imagine in his way, in his timing, and in his will. So you know that you can ask and that you have a good father who will give exactly what you need. That's why he says, teach me, give me, turn my heart away from this, turn it towards that. He asks so much because he knows that his God will give so much grace to him. Do you? Do you know that? Do you know that if you sense that desperation in your heart, that in 2024, I can't fix me? That this psalm says, you can ask him and he'll meet with you. You draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. You ask him to rescue you, he'll rescue you. You ask him to give you grace, he'll give you grace. He'll especially help you understand his word, which was his prayer over and over in this psalm. In 2024, Lord, would you please help me understand your word? And I'll say this, if that's a genuine prayer of your heart, I know the answer from the Father is yes. Yes, I will. But in 2024, God invites you to engage with him through his word, to have these attitudes of joyful, hopeful desperation. God, you've got to do this for me but also this core conviction that God is a good father who loves to give us what we need. One of my favorite stories in the, Old, or in the New Testament is when Jesus is walking with his disciples in Luke chapter 24, after the resurrection. They don't even know who he is. It says that Jesus took them and showed them Moses and the Psalms and the prophets and how they all pointed to him. It's interesting here, teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes. Give me understanding. Help me know your commandments. And Jesus in Luke 24, he says, well, they're all about me. They're all pointing to me. And I love how it says in Luke chapter 24, Jesus opened their hearts to understand the word. And do you know that you can ask him that in 2024? Jesus, you did it in Luke 24. Now, in this year of 2024, would you open my heart to understand your word? And his answer will be, yes. So that's what he invites you in 2024 to approach him through his word. But then he also, in this psalm, what you see is that he can change your heart as you engage with him through his word. Now, it's interesting, I think, as we start to think through what historically uh, in the church has been called, what I would say, uh, spiritual disciplines. There's a right way to understand spiritual disciplines, and there's a wrong way to understand spiritual disciplines. 
a wrong way to understand spiritual disciplines like prayer or reading scriptures, you enter into 2024 is, I've really got to change, I'm going to be committed, I'm going to be devoted, and, and I'm going to change me by praying and reading. No. Does God call you to seek to be committed and faithful in doing those things? Yes. But it's God who changes you as you read his word. It's God who changes you as you pray. Uh, One of my professors, Michael Horton, a theologian today, says this, the issue is not whether we engage in personal disciplines or habits like the reading of scripture, but whether we do so in a gospel-driven manner. Is it a technique for personal transformation? And listen to this. Or is it a saving and sanctifying encounter with the triune God who has met us in his incarnate son. That's what's happening. You're not changing yourself by doing these things. You are encountering the God who changes you as you read, as you pray, as you fellowship with his people, as you go about your daily business. Reading scripture in some senses doesn't change us, but it's the God of scripture that changes us as we read it. Very important. And what's wonderful about what the scripture talks about our hearts, even after we've come to faith, is that we've been made genuinely new. We are new creatures in Christ, but we've not yet been made completely new. And so there are things in each of our hearts, including my own, in 2024, that desperately need to change. And I think if you'd even take just one minute to try to be self-aware and think, you could come up with quite a few things of like, I, I wish this would change in my life. But let me mention a few here in this text that this psalmist points out that I think all of us in one degree or another wrestle with. As you enter into 2024, as you encounter God through his word and he begins to change you, the grace of God's word has the power to change you at the deepest heart level of desire. At the level of your desires. In Scripture, your heart thinks. In Scripture, the heart feels. It has emotions. The Bible also says our heart wills and chooses. But at a very deep level, the Scriptures also say that our heart desires. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And the psalmist has the audacity to say there are times that I treasure the wrong things. So in desperation, with the core conviction, he says, God, please change this from me. You can see this in verse 35. What he says here, he says, lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. God has changed even what he delights in. You can see in verse 40, he says, Behold, I long for your precepts. He doesn't delight in God's word nor long for his precepts naturally. God has changed him by his grace, and now he delights in them. How can you delight in God's word like that? Especially when the commandments and the precepts say, If you fall short of any of this law, it curses you. Well, I love how he says at the very beginning in verse 33, Teach me, O Lord. He's using what we would call the covenant name of God. The God who rescues his people not only from Egypt, but from sin. And in the Old Testament, gave them the sacrificial 
system to say, I'm a God who forgives. I'm a God who forgives. Ultimately, we see that pointing to Christ, the ultimate one who gave his sacrifice for us. And now we see the law and his commandments not as something that condemns us, but the will of our good Father. That it points us to Christ continually. And he says, I, I delight in that. I long for God's word. Listen, God's word, if you summarize the law, this is what Jesus says, it's to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. And the psalmist is if he's saying, I, I, I can't do that, I don't do that. God rescues him from that, forgives him of those things and now he begins to delight in God's law because it's a description of what his father's heart is like. Let me just mention this. Um, many of you know that before we came to Georgia, we lived in South Carolina. In 2007, eight-ish, we began to wrestle if God was calling us to South Carolina. And we started to engage a search committee there, and uh, we fell in love with the people. We loved this crew that was there. And I thought, but yeah, South Carolina, I don't know if any of you have ever lived there, but I thought, hot, flat, sand gnats, and mosquitoes. No thank you. And uh, what's interesting, I was like, I kind of want to avoid there, but I feel like God's calling us there to these people. Well, at least the people are there, and I know it's just going to, it's not going to be nice living there. And then I actually moved there and went there. And some of you know, are gonna, know what I'm talking about. The lakes up in the mountains. The mountains themselves. Just beautiful, especially in the fall, the, the palmetto areas. The beaches, the historic cities on the beaches, all that made me go, wow, I had one conception of what it was like. And it's way bigger and more beautiful than I thought. I dare say that even in believers, sometimes there can be this sense in our hearts of, yeah, I mean, it's God's word. I know it's important. There's not much in there that I really like. Um, I don't really spend much time in it. And it's as if in 2024, God is saying, inviting you to say, please come explore. You'll see things in here that are bigger and more beautiful than you could ever imagine. It's an invitation that as you do that, and so I started with, in my desires, going, I'm not going to like South Carolina that much. I'll enjoy the people to just, now we vacation there because we love it so much. Total change of desires. And God can do that with you and his word as well. If you kind of go, I know it's important, but I don't really desire it that much, he will begin to reveal things to you so that your taste and your desire for God's word change. In desperation and conviction, we say, God, change the desires of my heart. The next thing is the grace of God's word has the power in 2024 to progressively make you less, and less selfish and more selfless. Well, let me back, let me back up here and mention uh, someone that I don't know much about, but maybe some of the uh, teenagers in the room would know, or some of our younger kids, a gal by the name of Jojo Siwa. Am I saying that right? Anybody know? Jojo Siwa. So she's a YouTube influencer. She's a singer. She's a dancer. Highly influential. So influential as a YouTuber that Time Magazine in 2022 rated her in the top 100 most influential people in the world, and she was only 18 years old at the time. And here's what she sings, okay? She sings this in her song, You Can't Change Me. My life, my rules, my dreams, my life who I choose to be, so I'ma be me, I follow my own lead. 
And you, know, you can sit there and read those lyrics and go, wow, that's way off. Or you can go, man, that's my heart more than I'd like to say. I might not say that outwardly. I might not sing that on a song on YouTube. But when I come home from work and I'm tired and I've had a rough day, you better believe my heart's singing my life, my rules, my dreams, my life that I choose to be. So I'm going to be me. I'm going to follow my own lead. It's all about me. So before we point fingers at her, we go, I might not sing that outwardly, but that tends to be the song of my heart inside. Or this kind of selfishness in our heart is shown not by a YouTuber, but by a philosopher, Jean-Paul Sartre. If any of you have heard that name? An existentialist, an existentialist philosopher. He, by living for himself, he says you have to make your own meeting, you have to leave for, live for yourself. Towards the end of his life, when his life is a wreck, he says this. He was a very intelligent man, but he says this. I'm not stupid, but... I am empty. There are, many things, there are not many things left in this life that excite me anymore. In other words, just this, this thought of like, if I just do my will and my thing, it's going to be really great for me. And the Bible would say, don't go that direction. You were not intended to live for your will. You were intended to live for the will of God who has your best interests at heart. And that's why here he admits and he acknowledges in this psalm. He says in verse 36, he says, Incline my heart to your testimonies, your will, not to selfish gain, not to me, but to your will. I mean, how often in your life, it's almost every minute for me that I have to wrestle with my heart saying, my will be done, my kingdom come. And these verses say that God can change that in you. That can take you from being selfish to selfless. Let me give you a personal example of how God's Word did that in my life this week. I'm reading Ruth, and Naomi says, Ruth, I just I long for you to have rest with a husband. And it's just this image that in a, in a marriage, the husband should, should work to give his wife rest. And just, how often do I go home or wake up in the morning and go, they better give me rest today. My wife, she needs to do this or she needs to do that. I want to have rest. And my kids, they need to act this way and that way or I'm not going to have rest, but I want rest. And that word came to me and pierced me and said, you fight for their rest. You work for them. You serve them. And in that moment, God met with me and conviction, and grace. And I genuinely and desperately prayed this prayer in Psalm 119. Lord, incline my heart away from selfish gain. Make me an increasingly less selfish husband and father and more a selfless one. But I can only do that by your grace as I meet with you in your word. And then this, the grace of God's word shifts what your heart values. What you desire from selfless also to self or selfish to selfless. And then you'll notice, I wish we could spend more time on this this morning, but I'll just mention this in verse 37. He says, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. 
How often do you give your heart's attention and affection and focus to what's trivial? And the psalmist is saying, God, tune my heart to what's substantial. I often give my heart over to worthless things. And I love how Paul will say it in the New Testament. He'll say, I've considered everything as lost compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. If our heart tends towards the trivial, God promises that as you meet with him through his word, grace reorients you towards what is truly valuable. And the New Testament would say that's knowing Christ Jesus and him crucified. To give your heart to that. Let me just end with an illustration and a statement. Let me just end with this. Uh, many of you know I spent a lot of time in Colorado and as a rafting guide and mountaineer. And one of the things I loved was on the side of the river, often some of the rocks that would almost be falling into the river, they were like almost there. They were either large or small. They were, they're usually really jagged. They have sharp edges. You don't want to step on them. They're rough. They can really cut you if you kind of put too much weight on it. They're just really rough and ragged. But the rocks that have been in the river for who knows how long, they're smooth. They're curved. For years, decades, centuries, who knows how long those rocks have been at the bottom of that river with the water and the sediment in the water gently flowing over them in such a way that through the years, those rough edges are hewn off and they're rounded into something that's beautiful when you pick it up. You know, God invites you to come into his word in 2024 of desperation and a core conviction to change your heart at a level of desires to go from selfish to selfless, to change what you most deeply value. But here's the hard thing. It doesn't happen overnight. We want it to happen at 70 miles an hour. It often goes one mile an hour. We want it to be in a straight line. It's often very crooked. But it will happen. But God says, don't stay on the edge of the river. Jump all the way in. Dive into my word. And let my grace through my Son flow over you. That as you dive into his word and open its pages, over time, the grace of God flows over your soul in such a way where you can say, I'm not there yet. But my desires are changing. Because he's changing me. I'm not there yet, but I can see it little bit of gross growth into selflessness but I have so much more change to go I'm not there yet but the things I value are changing it takes time but dive into the river of God's grace as you open his word in 2024 it's an election cycle you're going to hear a lot of words uh, you're going to hear a lot of words on the TV. You're going to hear a lot of words in social media. Some of those words are going to be wrong. Some of those words are going to be superficial. Some of those words will be meaningful. And some of those words will be valuable. But the most valuable word for your heart in 2024 is God's word. And if you open its pages, he promises to meet you there as you engage his heart in desperation, in the core conviction that he loves to give good things to those who ask. 
And as you meet with him, he loves to change your heart. Not like that, but slowly over time. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word ultimately shows us your son, Jesus Christ. It shows us a cross outside of Calvary with Jesus, you hanging there for us. Where you are showing us the way that you took and showing us that you are the way to the Father. And now that you have died and resurrected and rose to the Father's right hand, you pour out your spirit and we say, give us your spirit more and more. And Holy Spirit, that you've inspired God's word, now would you illuminate it and show us Christ in it. And that we could genuinely say as we come to the word, not my will be done, but your will be done, Father. Because we're convinced that you're so good because you gave your son for us. So Father, would the the waters of your grace flow over us in the river of your word so that more and more we would look like your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.